0: We are in a series in the book of Mark. So we're enjoying the book of Mark. We are marinating in the book of Mark. We're reading it. We're allowing it to read us. We are getting to know Jesus better through this eyewitness account. Now, uh, today we are going to be looking at a passage in Mark chapter 3. So I've invited Brian Adelman uh, to come and read that for us. And I invite us just out of reverence for God's word to stand as we hear it read. So this this is Mark chapter (laughs) 3, verses 1 through 12.
1: Mark chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to a man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians uh, how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan, and all around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward towards him, to touch him. Whenever the impure spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him.
0: Please have a, thanks. Please have a seat. Please leave my mic on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the air in the synagogue that day was so tense you could cut it with a knife. Like a cloud of smoke <laughs> over the area if you could imagine such a thing. This little village, little Galilean village, had more people in it than normal, and so of course more people were attending the synagogue that day. Now, some parts of synagogue were just normal. You'd have the, the men over here, the women over here, some of the men of the village would lead out in the customary prayers the Shema Shema, Adonai Elohechem, Adonai Ahad, Words. Prayers that they've heard many times, words that are supposed to be comforting, grounding, centering words that normally would lead to a, an, an atmosphere of, of of worship and reverence, but today it was it was tense. <laughs> Now, of course, all the like I said, the regular people were there—the men over here, the women over here, some of the men leading the service like they would normally do, in the patterns they normally would. There's some repetition, but there there were others there—Pharisees from all around the region, because they'd heard they'd heard that Jesus was going to be in the synagogue. That day, And everyone, everyone wanted to know what Jesus would do because this Jesus, like, so he, he, he's been gathering quite a crowd. He's been teaching now for in Galilee for the better part of a year. And some of the crowds around him were huge because, of course, he was known as a healer. Now, as a Pharisee, really didn't have a problem with him healing. Healing is just fine. But, whoa, the things he was saying while he was healing. Have you heard some of the things, some of the stories about Jesus? So he was teaching in a house, and there and so many people were wanting to get healed and to be near him that they crowded around the house. No one else could get in, and then in the middle of the meeting, there's there was this noise, and, and people were, they actually clawed through the roof of the house, and a man was lowered on a mat into the middle of the house. I know. And, but what Jesus said to them, he didn't just heal them. Had he healed them, oh, that would have been fine. But what Jesus said to him was troublesome. Jesus looked at this man and looked at the friends that lowered him and said, Your sins are forgiven. This Jesus personally extended the forgiveness of God. Who does that? Who would dare do that? So we've been keeping an eye on Jesus. And then he's left the house, there's more crowds. He starts calling people to follow him. Now in every village there are plenty of young like the like aspiring rabbis there are smart kids smart young men like fine young men but who do, he walks up to this guy Levi maybe for some he's sometimes known as Matthew you've heard about him because he's the you know the regional tax collector how many of you like tax collectors <laughs> right. And Jesus walks up to this guy and he says, follow me. Then Levi throws a party, and all of his tax collecting sinner friends they join in at this party. And Jesus is hanging out with them. Sure, he's a healer, sure, he's a teacher, but where is his sense of holiness? How could somebody like that hang out with people like that? Doesn't he know? Or sometime after, when it was time for the fast. I mean, the disciples of John fast. Obviously, all the good, all the good Pharisees fast. But does Jesus fast? Answer is no. <laughs> does he get his disciples to fast? Answer is no. Sure, he's a healer. Sure, he's a teacher. But he lacks Self-discipline. It's a long list of problems with this Jesus. But the worst, <clears throat> the worst, just wait till you hear what happened. It was just a couple of Sabbaths ago, from what I hear. So he had been walking with his disciples through a wheat field. That's okay, as long as you don't walk too far. He's walking through the wheat field with his disciples and he, they were picking grains of wheat like grain, like kernels off of the stock and eating them on the Sabbath. Picking is work. Ask any picker. May not be a lot of work, but it was work. It was work. He's working on the Sabbath. Who does that? And then, this is the worst part, what he says. So, Some of the other Pharisees, of course, they question him on this. Jesus, is it right to do so? And he says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself, I think, is lo- he is saying, what kind of holy man declares himself to be more holy and important than the Sabbath? The Sabbath! The Sabbath! You know! The Sabbath! God creates for six days and on the seventh day, he what? He rested! So should you! It is foundational. The ten, do you remember the Ten Commandments? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And throughout the scriptures, God told his people to keep the Sabbath. And that's why the Pharisees, we, we are so careful to keep the Sabbath. That's why we have the Melahol. There are because we're not supposed to work. So so we made a list of there's a 36 you may not know this 36 categories of work. That of which you must not work in all of those thirty-six categories, and of course to make certain that you don't come close to working in any of those thirty-six categories, there are some rules—several hundred. You've memorized them. I know this. So <laughs> all these rules, so that you don't come close to working, you can go for a walk, but not too far. You can pick up a few things, but nothing—nothing nothing heavier than I can't remember. Well, I can't remember. Andrew can't remember the exact amount, but you, so that you don't work. The Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. (laughs) How are we supposed to expect God to redeem our nation from the Romans if we will not do the most basic of things? How are things supposed to get right if we won't live right? That's why we've got rules. That's why we've got rules. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You will not work. Now, now of course, there are there are loopholes in there a little bit. I mean, if a woman goes into labor on the Sabbath, you are permitted to help her. If someone is go- has an accident on the Sabbath, you are permitted to help him at least with the basics. You know, like the like you, you can bandage the wound, but not so much that it heals. They could come back tomorrow, and you could finish the work of, of healing on the Sabbath because you must not work. Why? Because God said so. It's important. Jesus says he's Lord over the Sabbath. Who does he think he is? Well, needless to say, the tone in the synagogue was quite tense. He's sitting there on the Sabbath. or st- The men are leading in the prayers. The women are in the other section of the, of the synagogue as, as they should be. I'm going to wait to see how much, how much mail I get about that one. <laughs> okay, I'm giving you historical context, people. I'm giving you historical context. The men are over here. The women are over here. The Torah reading from the day has been completed. They opened the scroll. And then the moment they'd all been wondering whether or not it would happen, Jesus, Jesus begins to speak. He points to a man in the synagogue who has a withered. Right hand, Luke tells us. And he has him come forward. Now, has anybody heard this man even asked to be healed? Apparently not. But he has him come forward, has him stand in front of of everyone, like a sermon illustration. And Jesus speaks to the assembled crowd. What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? To save life or to kill it? I wonder what the man was thinking at this moment. (laughs) And nobody said anything. You'd think the answer would be obvious, right? Perhaps Jesus repeated it. Which is a greater fulfillment of Sabbath? To do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil on the Sabbath day? To save life on the Sabbath day or to kill on the Sabbath day? Which is the greater fulfillment of Sabbath? Sabbath. And once again, everyone was quiet. You could see around the edges of the, of the room some men in long robes looking a lot like this. I'm assuming there was a long pause. Jesus was angry. Jesus was deeply distressed at their stubbornness. The Pharisees were looking right back at him, deeply distressed as well. So what's Jesus going to do? walks up to the man with the hand. Stretch out your hand. And years, if not decades, of injury in a second were healed. The fact that nothing is written about the rest of the synagogue service tells me that that's about the point the synagogue service ended. (laughs) People had heard what what they came to hear and the Pharisees were livid. The healer, he couldn't even respect the Sabbath enough to heal on a day other than the Sabbath, to do his healing work on a day other than the Sabbath. So the Pharisees storm off so angry that Jesus has compromised the Sabbath that they actually start to make negotiations with their rival political group. They're so concerned that Jesus has compromised the Sabbath, they actually start compromising some of their core values about the Davidic line of royalty. Mark picks up on that irony. I'm going to pause the story for a moment, the storytelling for a moment. I hope you, as you've been reading through Mark, you have just been awestruck at how the key, like, remember Jesus' central message? The time is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The core message of Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. That in him, around him, through him, that God's rule and reign is breaking out into this broken world. And all around him, we would see the signs of what the kingdom of God looks like. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered from evil spirits. People people who are dead are being raised from the dead. Thousands of people are being, are being fed. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is just busting out all around Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope it challenges you to consider what it means that the kingdom of God truly is at hand. That Jesus really did mean what he said. That in Jesus' name there is power in this world for healing, for redemption, for second chances, for people to be set free from the spirits and forces that oppress them. From the demonic, from the addiction. That people can be fed, that lives can be changed that unlikely people like Levi can even be included in the good news. So the kingdom of God is breaking out all around Jesus, everywhere, right? And, and yet, even as Jesus' ministry grows and more and more people are following him and listening to him and, and, and celebrating the kingdom of God, there's, there's resistance, isn't there? There's things that resist the advance of the kingdom of God. Now, even in the passage we just, just heard, there's you know, two of the things that we would think of as being the greatest forms of resistance are mentioned, like the crowds. You know, Jesus has, there's crowds that are following him everywhere, and sometimes they're hard to manage. They're, they're hard, to, hard to deal with. They, uh... but, but Jesus doesn't seem to have a tough time managing them, does he? There's times he gets away from the crowd, there's times the crowds swell up, there's times the crowds leave him, but he doesn't seem to have much of a problem with the crowds. They're not the the threat to the kingdom of God. When they're hungry, he can even feed them (laughs) with even seemingly the smallest number of supplies. Reminds us that the long-term effectiveness of a ministry of any ministry or any life for that matter is not determined by the size of the crowd but by the long-term fruit of the life the long-term fruitfulness of the ministry or maybe you noticed all those passages about like the about like impure spirits like the demonic Jesus shows up and impure spirits, I mean, they're, they're, they, they kind of manifest themselves. But Jesus never once has a problem dealing with the demons. Now, if it was you, you, me, I actually think that's kind of dramatic. Um, you know, do you, do you believe in demons? I do, actually. I, I believe that evil forces can be manifest. In this world, there's only been a couple times in my life where I feel like I haven't seen it in any form. But it, they were scary. And yet in the, in the Gospels, Jesus just, you know, like the, the, de- the demons come and then they just, they just fall on their faces before Jesus. And Jesus gives them instruction and, or sends them off into pigs or does something with them. <laughs> but they do whatever he tells them to do. Apparently, they aren't, I mean, they would be a big deal to me but they don't seem to be a big deal to Jesus. In fact, if you're reading ahead, and maybe you are, wouldn't that be great? Is you'll, you'll see that pretty soon Jesus sends off his disciples to minister in his name, and all they need to do is utter the name of Jesus, and the vast majority, at least, of the demons just immediately flee before them as well. So apparently, even the demonic is not the primary source of resistance to the kingdom of God there is however one place where Jesus encounters continued resistance again and again and again and again who's that? the Pharisees the Pharisees The Pharisees. So today, I wanted to just talk briefly about um, what you might call the Pharisee spirit. You could call it legalism, perhaps. Now, I went through in as I was preparing for this message probably about a dozen sort of one sentence definitions for the Pharisee spirit. So maybe you'll come up with a better one. But here's the here's what I think is the core. Of the, of the Pharisee spirit, the thing that, that, that caused the greatest resistance to the kingdom of God, which is why it's important for us to know it. As is we're looking to be citizens of the kingdom of God. It's good for us to be able to identify it in the world around us and the world inside of us as well. And it's this. Here, here's, here's my working definition that you can improve on. Okay? The Pharisee spirit or the, the spirit of legalism which is where you are forgetting the relational reason behind the rules. Forgetting the relational reason behind the rules. You know that everything that God tells us to do, every commandment, um, every piece of instruction in Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, every one of them, is there ultimately for, for the purpose of human flourishing. Like, God really honestly wants good for you and for me and for us. Now, sometimes, sometimes especially in today's culture, how those rules will seem awfully restrictive. They may not immediately lead to you experiencing your best life now or getting your heart's desire, at least in the moment. But every instruction that God gives us, every command he gives us is ultimately for human flourishing. Let's take the the Sabbath, for example. Like One of these deeply embedded teachings in in Jewish culture that then gets passed on even into Christian culture, this idea is that you are not made to work 24-7. If you live your life without a break one day, you are going to break. And so, God instructs us He instructs us to be people who live with a rhythm to life. Work hard and then rest. He even gives us a, lack of a better word, a recommended ratio. If you're in your work work life, work for six days and make sure to dedicate at least one to rest. A day where you unplug. And, And in today's world, Sometimes that means quite unplugging in every form, perhaps. I'll just throw that out there. That's, that's been a part of my Sabbath. The need to unplug so that our time can be dedicated to recharging, to worship, to allowing God to restore us. These are good teachings. These are good ways of living. In fact, everything that God tells us to to do with our... You know, that instructs us with. So whether that is with things like human sexuality. Don't have sex before marriage. And by the way, marriage is intended to be between a man and a woman for a lifetime. Now, those rules in today's world seem very restrictive, I, I suppose. But they're designed for human flourishing. They're designed for human flourishing. When people live that way in general, life generally goes better. God tells us this because He loves us. Or you know, the rules around caring for the environment. Don't just ask the land to produce and produce and produce and produce and produce and produce without ever restoring it, without ever giving it a chance to rest or care for the poor. Give attention to people who don't have the things that you have and do what you can to help. These are instructions that are part of the scriptures. And, And God gives them to us for our human flourishing. But the problem sometimes with the Pharisee spirit when you experience it when I experience it, and I think we all do, is, is we can get so locked in on the rules, and the rules, they're intended for good, they're, they're, they're meant to be, they're meant to be life-giving, they're meant to contribute to human flourishing, but we can get so focused on the rules that we forget the reason behind the rules. And so we might be applying the rules to our life, but we've forgotten Why? Maybe you've experienced this sometimes with your uh, you know, with your quiet time, and I and I, I hope you you have times in the day that you dedicate to prayer and dedicate to time in the Word. But if you're like me, there are times in that prayer life and in and in and time in the Word it can feel like a checkbox. I'm, I've got my little U version plan, and man, do I want to be up to date? I want that checkbox. And there are times, if I'm not careful, where I can be in the Word, and it's, it is it is just wrote, when God's Word is intended for us to, to be a way to not only hear from God through, through His timeless, truthful Word, but to connect with God Himself through it, that the Spirit of God meets us in the Word of God to connect us to the heart of God in those times. Pharisee spirit, or or maybe the Pharisee spirit that we you know we've got some of the boundaries for our own life. That's you know that's helpful language for the for the habits and rules. Whether that's around diet, sometimes those are things that are helpful for us to put some boundaries around what you eat, or boundaries around ha- how you handle finances, or your schedule, or whatever it is, and 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 then we. You know, we, we're so in love with our rules that we, that we just heavy handedly impose them on the people around us and then judge them for not meeting our standards. The Pharisee spirit. Now, I want to be careful in a couple of ways with this because, see, you know, there, there are times where maybe in, in churches that are more biblically uh, liberal than our own. Um, where that same rhetoric of the Pharisee spirit, it can be used actually to try to discount some of the core teachings of Scripture. And I, I'm not trying to do that at all. All, of, all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. We don't want to discount things just because they're no longer popular or easy or you know, or I, I, whatever word you want to use. So we we're not trying to we're not trying to um, not trying to abandon the word of God in any way, but we also want to be really careful about making certain that that Pharisee spirit, that spirit of legalism, doesn't creep into our midst corporately and into our hearts individually. The kingdom of God is at hand. God is at work all around you, all around me, all around us, all the time. Jesus is enormously powerful. And he still wants to heal and redeem and transform and liberate. Jesus is still, is still the most powerful force in the world. So here, here's how I'd like us to, uh, to, to close. I, I was thinking about, you know, the different illustrations you could use about the Pharisee spirit. I want to be real careful with that because almost any illustration would, would, would lead me into like, hey, here's some of the fine points of this. and it would, So here's what I, what I hope we would do. It's just to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us individually. Lord, where might that spirit of legalism be present in my life? And allow God to speak to you because you know he does and you know he can. Lord, show me those places where I am more focused on the rules than I am on the relationship you long for me to have with you. Lord, show me the places where my obedience becomes like a checklist rather than a dynamic, obedient conversation with you, God. So here's what I invite us to do. I just invite you to stand. And I want to lead us in a prayer that um, some words that may be common from Psalm 139. Where the psalmist David says this, Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and Lead me in the way everlasting. Just to allow the scriptures themselves to guide our prayer life before the Lord. And see what the Holy Spirit does in you and in, in me and in us. So invite us to stand. Invite us to stand. And whatever, whatever posture of prayer you want to take, some, maybe for you, if you're going to close your eyes, you want to hold on to the seat in front of you so you don't tip over. Sometimes it's, not, it's nice to have a hand open or whatever that posture of receptivity. And then I just invite us to say these words together, to pray these words together. And just invite God. Invite God to move in your life. Search me, God. Would you say them out loud with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray that again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And just invite us into a time of silence for just a few moments and just see see what God tells you. See what the Holy Spirit impresses on your heart. Lord, thank you that you search us. Thank you that you know us even better than we know ourselves. Thank you that you alone test us. That you see deeper than anyone else. And thank you, God, that you can lead me, that you can lead us in the ways everlasting. Lord, show us those places in our lives individually and and perhaps corporately even where we've been more focused on the form than on the relationship, more focused on the rules than on what it means to, to, to allow those habits and patterns in our life to lead us into deeper communion with you. I thank you that you truly desire good for us. And Lord, thank you that your kingdom, your kingdom is all around us. God, I don't want to miss out on what you are doing. Help me not miss out on what you are doing. Help me to pay attention to what you are doing, and for everything in my heart that stands in the way, that blinds me to what you are truly doing, Lord, would you remove it? Lord, everything that blinds us, that may blind us, to what you are truly doing, remove it. Thank you that you can. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.